Hi, I'm Steve Maletto from the Teaching Learning Leading K-12 podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us today on this wonderful Tuesday. It may be Tuesday evening, it may be well into Wednesday. Depending where you are in the world, we really appreciate you making us part of your day or part of your week. Thank you so much for all the likes, shares, and follows, and for all the support, ladies and gents. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. As you know, we always strive to get better each episode. And of course, you know, our mission is to connect educators and creators one show at a time. And today I am so excited because we have an amazing guest. And this is a person that I have followed on TikTok, who has some amazing content, has an amazing voice, uh, is just a wonderful advocate for teachers and teaching, and also gives just some amazing advice. So I'm really excited to welcome Jen Manley to the show. Jen, how are you this evening? I'm doing so well. I'm really excited to be here. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much. And thank you again. Just it's amazing. Like we were talking pre-chat and I'm still kind of like, oh my gosh, it's Jen and she's on the show because, you know, all the work that you do on TikTok. And of course, we know, you know, through Teach Better and you doing conferences and, you know, you're you are everywhere and you do such great stuff and you deliver it so well. So I'm really excited to get to chat with you today so you can share with our audience, some of whom may not be yet familiar with your work. Maybe they're not on TikTok, but hopefully after today, they will definitely follow you on Twitter and all socials. And I'm so excited. So let's go ahead and get started. So Jen, for our audience members that are going to be listening or currently watching, if you can give uh, just a brief introduction and your context in education, and then we're going to make sure we dive in. Yeah, of course. So my name is Jen Manley, and um, I was a 612, so middle school and then high school computer science teacher for um, eight years. And I currently teach computer science at the college level. I work at an education nonprofit and I help teachers be both effective and efficient so that they can impact their students while also having some work-life balance. Exactly. Wonderful, because that's exactly what we're going to be talking today uh, about, you know, here what we're going to be talking about balancing that effectiveness and that efficiency. So I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about that, because as you know, you know, a lot has happened in the past couple of years and, you know, the classroom has significantly changed. There's definitely either a lot more on teachers plates, you know, things are coming up. We've got student behaviors. We've got teacher work life, teacher work life balance and so on. So I'm definitely excited to just kind of pick your brain or just chat with you to hear your thoughts and your perspective, because this is something that you do as well. You do offer presentations and you do speaking on specifically on this topic. So before we get into that, I, you know, as I welcome everybody to the show, we definitely want to know their origin story because everybody that's invited to the show is sort of like a superhero to me that I want to learn from. So I would love to know a little bit more about your origin story as far as, uh, you know, being in education. Was an education something that you already knew you wanted to go into or was this something that came in later as far as a transition from something else into education? 
Yeah. Um, so what's so funny is that I did not always know that I wanted to be a teacher, but I always loved learning. And um, what ended up happening is when I first graduated college, I landed this amazing job. I worked for my international sorority and I traveled around college campuses for a full year. And it was a job that was challenging and fulfilling every day. And I think that it set me up to be disappointed by traditional work. And um, over the course of the next like five years, I hopped around many different jobs. I worked for a restaurant group where I led employee orientations, which was awesome. Um, I worked for Lululemon for a minute. I worked um, selling juice. So I had to drive like a Ford Transit truck. Um, that that didn't go that well, but um, like the driving was not that good, but I did all of these different things. And um, the moment where I knew I needed to figure out kind of what I wanted to do with my life was um, I was working doing medical credentialing, which basically meant that for eight hours a day, five days a week, I would translate doctors and nurses resumes into our software. <clears throat> so it was mind numbing. I really um, did not have that much fun. And I found myself crying in the car one day at lunch because I was just so bored and miserable. And um, I started working with a career coach. And what we realized is that the time of the week that I just loved and looked forward to was um, coaching girls on the run two days a week. And she was like, you know, you could go back to school and become a teacher. And um, what's so funny is that when I told my parents about it, they were like, well, we've always thought you would be a great teacher. I was like, that's so funny because I didn't know that. Um, but and now I do. And um, so, yeah, so I went into substitute teaching and then I got a job with a school district that allowed me to teach full time while taking community college classes to get certified, which was an amazing opportunity. Um, and I've been a teacher ever since. And I feel like, um, you know, it was my calling that I didn't like I see bits and pieces of it if I look back at the work I did before teaching, but um, I'm really grateful that I found it when I did because I feel like it made me so much more appreciative of how much I love it and, um, you know, how much it allows me to be sort of the best version of myself. Wow. That's, I mean, you know, one of the things that I love to hear and because myself, it, it was a transition from marketing into education, but also hearing, you know, educator stories, just like yourself with all those different experiences. And I've had, uh, you know, uh, many, many guests here that have yeah. some interesting backgrounds before they transition into education. And it just seems like they you know, come in with a different perspective too on a couple of things. And of course, even just the the classroom practice looks a little bit different, you know, than the traditional, you know, uh, you know education route, which totally. again, I'm not knocking anything on that at all, because I mean, there's certain things that I've had to learn way after, you know, about, you know, things, but, you know, as far as the, the engagement piece or knowing my, you know, knowing students because of those experiences, you know, and, and kind of like sales, you had sales experience, you had to work with customers too. I, I don't know, for myself, transitioning, uh, you know, personalizing uh, classroom and classroom settings became something that was almost like second nature because I had 30 little customers I had to sell algebra to. So, you know, coming in with that experience. So what was your kind of, I guess, <clears throat> moment transitioning from subbing into being the actual teacher of record? Mm -hmm. What was that feeling like when you had day one official teacher of record? 
man. So I came in, it was so funny because I came in mid-year um, to this school. It was middle school and I was hired and my entire first week was a snow week. So um, I didn't get into my, my classroom until, you know, a weekend, but it was a new semester. And um, <laughs> the first thing I did is I had all of the kids tell me what kind of prizes they wanted. And it's so funny now because I look back on it and I'm like, and it, and I was so excited. And I think they could feel my excitement about being a teacher um, and, you know, wanting to support them in the ways that they wanted to be supported. Um, but I've definitely learned a lot since then about intrinsic motivation and, um, you know, ways that we can help motivate students that aren't necessarily buying them pizza all the time. But um, I was really, I was really just very excited, um, a little bit overwhelmed just because there were so many different things to do. But again, uh, prior to subbing, I actually really liked subbing. It was good for me to try a lot of different grade levels. Um, but prior to subbing, I was just so miserable in the work that I was doing that it was refreshing to go to work for a full day and leave feeling excited and energized and creative, which is not something that I had felt in the job that I was in directly prior. So that's good. Yeah. So that's good. That's exciting. Now, what grade was it that you initially started teaching? Yeah. So I taught, um, I came in teaching sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So my first, yeah. So my first, um, my first job, it's a good story, actually. Uh, my first job was teaching essentially wood shop. So it was tech ed, but um, it was mid-year. There was no training for me to go to, to be able to do, you know, certain courses. So um, I was essentially teaching wood shop. And I'll never forget when I was going to interview for this job, they had the district tech ed supervisor there. And he looks at me and he goes, what's more dangerous, a bandsaw or a belt sander? And I'm like, I don't know. But I said, whichever one you don't teach the kids how to use. And I think it was a moment where he was like, okay, she might not know everything she's doing, but she can learn and she, you know, wants to help the kids. So yeah. So I came in mid-year and I was teaching sixth, seventh and eighth grade. It was great. Wow. Excellent. Now, how many years were you in the classroom? Because currently I know that you're doing college courses. Mm -hmm. So how many years were you in K-12 space? Yeah, I was in um, K-12 space for eight years. So um, half that time in middle school and then half that time in high school. And okay. really um, middle school, I taught tech ed that first semester. And then I was mostly computer science with a little bit of tech ed for the rest of that time. And then when I taught uh, um, high school level, it was just computer science. Excellent. Hey, well, we've got Tim Cavey joining us here. Tim says, hey, hi, that's a great interview answer. Thank so you. yeah. Thank you so much for joining us here on the live, Tim. I really appreciate it. So Jen, now you've had this experience, you know, in the classroom. Now you're working as an instructor also at the university. And on top of that, you're doing your own edupreneur. Um, you know, you have your stuff going on as far as conferences. You help people. You coach. I, you know, have been putting the website here within the chat so people can go ahead and connect with you and see what it is that you do. But also the work that you do on TikTok, which we'll get into it a little bit more, really, you know, speaks to me and resonates with me because as far as the, some of the topics that you do hit on our topics that are like, wow, they really, really resonate. So mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your experience now as far as going out and doing conferences and doing some speaking or coaching. What is it right now that you're currently seeing, you know, as far as the challenges that teachers are facing right now? Mm -hmm. um, I think that the number one 
challenge that teachers face right now is that they're being asked to do so much with so little. So they're being asked to serve many different stakeholders. They're being asked to um, deliver on paperwork and new initiatives and also teach their classes and also manage, um, you know, post-pandemic student behaviors, which, um, you know, I, I taught both pre and post post-pandemic, right? And the kids are different. It's um, it's a different beast, especially with things like cell phones. And so teachers are being asked to do all this um, and they're being asked to do more and more and they're not be give, being given more time to do it. Uh, there's also fewer teachers. So there's more coverage that's needed. There's less support when it comes to like special education services. Um, and, you know, schools are under-resourced. So I think the biggest challenge that teachers face is just the fact that um, and uh, somebody I follow on TikTok, her name is Anita. She said the other day, she had a piece of content where she said, you know, the job is impossible. And um, I think that sometimes teachers just need to hear that to, to be validated that this feeling of overwhelm and this feeling of, wow, like I'm leaving work again today and I don't have everything done or I don't feel prepared for tomorrow or um, I am so drained and I have to go home and spend time with my family or my dog or whatever. Um, those are totally valid feelings and it's a, they're a product of the system and not of your effectiveness as an educator. Oh, there you go. And that's great that you share that, you know, as far as the effectiveness, because that's something, like I said today that we're talking about, you know, balancing that effectiveness, that efficiency, you know, finding those, that work-life balance. And like you said, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, very few resources, um, you know, and of course, adding more to the plates instead of removing or maybe something just substituting, just saying, hey, look, instead of adding this, we're going to remove this. That didn't quite work, but let's try this. But it just seems like it just comes on and on. And mm -hmm. I understand completely, you know, teachers, like you said, feeling very tired and feeling overwhelmed and underprepared. But again, it, it doesn't speak to their effectiveness in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, you know, what is it that you normally would share with somebody, you know, that is coming in and just saying, Jen, listen, this is what's going on. The, kind of similar to what you're describing. What are some ways that are, you know, can be maybe easily implemented small mm -hmm. and can make some huge incremental changes? Um, you know, some of the things that you may share with them. Yeah, I think the thing that is most valuable in terms of trying to figure out how you're going to spend your time is, Number one, figuring out how much time you actually have. So I talk about this a lot, but the teacher workday is not conducive to the type of work that teachers are asked to do, right? So no matter what grade you teach, the likelihood of you having more than 45 minutes and most times, you know, really like 15 or 30 minutes together to be able to do work um, is, is pretty slim. You're looking at these short blocks of time, which teaching has a lot of creative work and creative work needs flow and flow takes time to get into. So um, understanding and having patience with yourself when it comes to like when you're getting work done. Um, and if you need to, giving yourself permission to, to give yourself an hour block after school or, hey, I'm going to work a two hour block on Sunday. And that is the only time I'm going to work all weekend. But I need to have that two hour block because I love getting into the creative flow of teaching and I want to be able to have that, that experience and, um, you know, to do the things uh, with teaching that really make me feel excited and, and alive. And like, I'm a great teacher. Um, so permission to feel okay. Um, that, 
the job is just not set up for you to work effectively for the kind of work that you're doing. However, we can get very um, strategic about what we're doing and when we're doing it. So the second piece of advice that I would give um, any teacher is it's really important to get clear on what work is most important or most valuable and to do that work first. And this is something that people are bad at. People like to like get their to-do list and check off the tasks because it gives us that little dopamine hit. And it's really exciting to check off boxes. Um, but I think if you start pro like going through and coming up with what are your highest priority tasks? What are the things that are the most valuable to your students learning, the most valuable um, you know, to your school's initiatives, whatever those may be, um, and doing those things first, it's a lot easier to leave knowing that you were never going to finish everything on your to-do list anyway, but you've left knowing that you've done the most important things. Wow. You know, and that's some great advice because, and you said something that really resonates. And now I'm thinking about this, you know, when I was in the classroom, you're absolutely right. That flow. And I'm kind of remembering where I would start off the day and in between that block, it was like, okay, the kids have music. So then I have to stop teaching, mm -hmm. take them to music, come back. I have 30 minutes. And then it's like, okay, got to do paperwork. I got to do either 504 check-ins or IEP or just something that I have to do administratively. Then they come back and then kind of to get the students again, get mm -hmm. them into that math flow state of mind, you know? And then of course, right after that, it's like, okay, they've got, now they've got to switch classes. You get mm -hmm. them in and then now it's lunch. So they're with me for 20 minutes. They go to lunch. Then it's time to have a recess. They come back and then I finish off the class. Then, you know, I get my last class of the day that comes in and 20 minutes in, they've got to go to PE and now they go to PE. And of course, coming back from PE, it's hot here in Texas. It's humid. It's mm -hmm. sweat. They're sweaty. They're coming in and we have to finish off the day that way. And it just seems like you're, you're right. Like once you kind of start getting that flow, even in, in, on the instruction standpoint, it's like, Oh, boom, right away. It's like, okay, now you hit like, you know, a, a hard stop, then you have to come back and mm -hmm. just do that. And, you know, remembering that right now, I'm like, wow, like I, I never thought about it, but yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's very difficult. And like you said, even right now, just for the teach, uh, just on the teacher side. Mm -hmm. So now I wanted to ask you as far as understanding that yes, teachers right now are, are overwhelmed and, you know, mm -hmm. trying to find that balance now, how, or what, what are some ways that you, through your experience that you would, sh or some things that you can share with them to still, you know, be as effective in the classroom and bringing some great learning experiences with the students to find that balance between, you know, the behavior, those hard stops, and just to kind of maybe keep a flow. What are some of the things that you may share with them? Yeah. So I think the number one thing, and this is different for every classroom, but figuring out what systems um, and structures you can repeat, um, as often as possible. So uh, for example, I taught computer science, I teach computer science, and um, we do a lot of group projects or even individual projects, but we do a lot of longer term projects um, and students follow the same process for planning out, going through the project, um, you know, refining their work, reflecting on their work. Um, they use uh, agile project management, which is an industry skill for computer science. Um, but 
it allows students to drive the learning process. And it worked really well in my content. It works really well in a lot of contents. But one of the reason that, reasons that it works really well is because it's a system that once students learn it, they can implement and do on their own because it's not guesswork, right? They're seeing that repetition. Um, and so it lessens the cognitive overload to get into the learning. Um, and so I remember, you know, in my first and second year of teaching, feeling like I constantly needed to put out these like social media ready lessons, right? That were really exciting and like classroom transformations. And those things are fun. And I'm not saying you can't do them, especially if you love doing them. But in terms of trying to lessen your workload, finding structures that work for you that you can repeat. So for me, like I said, that agile project management um, choice boards, I have a few other strategies that I use for differentiated lessons that I basically can plug and play different content, different standards, so that students are seeing those same structures. I taught middle and high school. And so for my students, right, they're being asked to go into six to eight different classrooms a day or over the course of two days that all have different processes and procedures. So consistency in my classroom is good for me for planning, but it's also good for students because they're not constantly having to figure out what they're supposed to be doing, right? Which allows us to maximize class time um, and also maximize planning time. So I think that would be my first piece of advice is, you know, sit down, do an audit. What are you doing in your classroom that doesn't take a lot of time to plan, that's effective, that's working with your students, and how can you apply that in different ways with different pieces of content or different standards so that you're not always reinventing the wheel and your students are still getting that high-level learning experience. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that reflection, really, it's that piece to sit down and really reflect on how that lesson went. Or like you said, you know, even just the daily routine that you can change. And as a matter of fact, I had uh, Dr. Sam Fesich here. They were on the show um, and she mentioned something like that, you know, as far as the importance for a teacher to sit down and really reflect on the day to day. And because sometimes and, and I think you hit the nail on the head a little bit when you said almost word for word, what she shared, too, is like sometimes we do things because we just need to check off that box. And even as a teacher, it's like, OK, my objectives are up, check off that box or check off this box. Uh, but we sometimes may not reflect because, I mean, it may seem overwhelming, like, okay, on top of everything I got to do, be, uh, you know, now I got to reflect and see what works. But I think that, like you mentioned too, like that return on investment on just mm -hmm. taking some time on seeing just those structures that are working, what isn't, what isn't, and mm -hmm. making those tweaks can make a big difference. So yeah, that's really great advice. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. The other oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, one of the things I, I would share that I like try to share with everybody because it, it totally changed things for me, um, not only in teaching, but in like my life life, right? My real life in my household. Um, we have this tendency to want to do multiple things at a time because we're so overwhelmed by all of the things that we have to do. Um, but your brain can't handle doing more than one thing at a time. And so this idea of multitasking where I need to do this um, deliverable and I also need to grade report cards and I need to plan a lesson. And so I'm just going to switch between all three because they need to get done. Um, productivity research shows that when we uh, task switch, which is what it's called instead of multitasking, when we task switch, we lose about 20% of our productivity with every new thing that we add. So because we're switching between tasks, every time that we switch tasks, our brain has to re 
align itself with what it's supposed to be working on. We break flow if we're in flow um, and then we're trying to get back into flow. So it's less productive, even though we feel like we have our hands in multiple things. The best way to approach work, especially with teaching is if we start on a task, we should be persisting on that task until it's done or whatever, whatever the definition of done is for the day, right? Whatever we want to get to for the day um, before moving on to something else. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. I totally love that explanation. And again, also research. So I love that you said that, you know, you, we, there is some research behind it um, because that's always very important too. also that I want to share with our audience members. So the other thing that I want to ask is I want to ask about, uh, you know, the agile um, educator handbook, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that and what, you know, sparked that idea? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, agile education is something that uh, lots of educators all over the world have been doing for a very long time. One of my favorite people to follow if you are new to agile education, um, hopefully you follow me, but um, my friend John Miller, he is a pioneer in the agile education space. He's been doing it for over a decade. Um, But agile is a form of project management that's used in software development and startups all over the world um, and some big organizations as well, but it essentially uh, is a great tool to use with students because it helps them to break down big work into smaller, more actionable, more manageable tasks. Um, And so it's fantastic because we know that kids don't have those fully formed executive functioning skills. So not only are we empowering them to be able to work together effectively on a team, but we're also teaching them how to chunk their own work. We're teaching them how to look at a big project and plan it out. And those are skills that are transferable no matter what. So I actually fell into agile project management in my classroom um, because I came into education um, and I was like, the way that they're telling me to do group work, because I had come not from education, I had worked in several other career careers, right? Different jobs, but several other sectors. And I was like, the way that they are teaching us to do group work in education is not reflective of how group work works in the real world, right? In the real world, you don't just do your role. You're expected to do what's best for the team. You're all working together on the project. Um, Whereas in education, they teach you to use roles. And if a student does their role, the project gets done, which is not always the case, right? There's always somebody who doesn't do what they're supposed to do, somebody who's trying to do everything. And so I found Agile and I was like, I think, I think this would work. So I started using it independently in my classroom. And over the course of the next several years, I got plugged into this network of other Agile educators, like I said, from all over the country and then um, from all over the world. So the Agile um, Educators Handbook, Agile Education Handbook um, is a creative commons. It's totally free. Um, You can find it online, but it's a collaborative effort from eight different educators from all over the world. So we collaborated with educators here, um, educators in... Um, like the Netherlands who are, and, and Switzerland who are doing this in a, you know, a c- completely different school environment, but it's essentially a way to help students um, have more choice and collaboration in the work they're doing and to be able to self-manage their own projects. Wow. That sounds amazing. And you said that this is available free online. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Excellent. Now, is that on your website by any chance? It's not. It should be. Okay. I should have linked to it, but I will find the link and I'll share it with you. But if you Google Agile Educator Handbook, um, it will come up. If you look up John Miller's um, website, um, which is Agile Classrooms, Agile Classrooms, he has it directly linked on his website as well. All right. That way we can make sure that we do share that. And I believe I found it here. I don't know if this would be the right Mr. one. Alliance. 
Yes. Yep, that's us. All right, perfect. And I'll definitely make sure that I add that to the show notes too as well. That way, uh, you know, any educators that are watching or listening or catching this on the replay can definitely uh, grab that. And, you know, it's amazing that you said that because, again, I, I love, and this is one of the reasons that I love doing this show because I get to learn something new. But you're absolutely right. You know, when I did my last four years in my classroom, Really, it was just like, oh, man, this is overwhelming, finding work-life balance, doing all these things. Uh, you know, I would do the little post-it notes, exit tickets, this and that. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, like we said, you know, things would break the flow. So I said, all right, uh, I, this is too much. So then we, ju I just started doing everything really project-based and having a rubric at the end that my students had to meet. Here's the rubric for the lesson. Monday, Tuesday, we work. I work on it on introducing the lesson. We do the engagement piece. But then at the end, we would work, well, they would work in groups and they would either present their final project, whether it was through a Google slide presentation, they would do, uh, you know, a presentation up at, you know, in the front, they would do something either using a, some kind of a graphic, uh, you know, just a different learning artifact, because I also wanted to give that voice and choice similar to a choice board at the time for how they wanted to submit their projects. And that was something that really helped me at the end, not worry so much about having to grade everything continually and having that paperwork continually on a daily basis and trying to grade everything. Because sometimes as a brand new teacher, they come in and man, they just want to sit and they want to grade everything and they want to give feedback for everything and so on. So for myself, those last four years, I said, this is overwhelming, you know, so that really helped a lot. But the fact that also we had those digital learning artifacts that were saved in a portfolio and that I had proof and evidence of learning that really helped a long way because later on those students use some of those projects that we did in fifth grade. And then I would get some calls from teachers mm -hmm. in sixth grade or seventh grade saying, Hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know that whatever it is that you did in fifth grade, I'm kind of seeing a little bit of it now and they're building off of it which I thought was, man, this is amazing that the students are taking advantage of that and using okay. those things. So I kind of learned real quick that as much as I wanted to tr try to grade everything, sometimes that little rolling basket milk cart that I would bring home would just kind of sit at the corner. And then Sunday, it was just a very ominous Sunday, just looking at that. And I'm like, oh, this is what I've got going on. So thank you for sharing this, you know, and, yeah. you know, and these tips also, you know, finding that balance. So I want to transition a little bit yeah, as we we're kind of like, you know, on the tail end of the show here. But again, I mentioned the work that you do on TikTok. And that's actually the first time that I ran into your account. I was just like, OK, I'm going to follow because you're answering questions or people that put in comments and, or you do a lot of stitches and you really have some amazing answers for a lot of the questions that are out there, or a lot of the videos that are out there. So I want to ask you first and foremost, when did that, you know, TikTok account or start? Did you think that it was going to blow up this big, you know, as, as much as it has right now? No. So actually, um, the first video that I ever had go viral on TikTok, like mini viral, whatever it was, was um, somebody who was in the tech sector complaining about the perks of their job. And I, I'll never forget it because I like had toothpaste stains on my shirt and I stitched this video, right? I was like, cause nobody was seeing my things, right? I was like, nobody's watching. I'm, I'm just going to respond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I responded about how the perks at our job are things like a pack of lifesavers with a note that says, thank you for being a lifesaver. 
And it really resonated with people. And one of the things that I learned pretty early on in my TikTok experience is that TikTok is this amazing community of educators. And um, it's more fun when you're responding to comments and stitching people and having conversations. And that was something that you know, I had been on other forms of social media and obviously I really like Twitter and Twitter has some of that back and forth too, but just being able to converse on video with people, it feels, it feels a lot more like a community. And so I would say, you know, for me, um, it was really cool to see some of the things that I was sharing resonating because it meant that there were other people out there like me who felt the same way about education. And I try really hard to share, you know, I, I want to help teachers find sustainability in teaching because I think that it's terrible that we lose great teachers to burnout. And I, I hope that my content is finding teachers who are passionate about what they're doing and who are passionate about the kids, but just feel so overwhelmed and want to find a better way so that they don't lose themselves in the job. Right. And I think like that was something that took me as a teacher, probably three years to figure out that I can be a great teacher and still be a great wife or friend or version of myself. Right. Like as an educator, I am just as deserving of all of that energy that I'm pouring into students and that you don't have to sacrifice being a great teacher in order to still pursue your passions outside of teaching. Absolutely. And I mean, I might add, like you are part of countless, you know, educators that are out there too, that I follow mm -hmm. and that have been on the show that really, you know, stand up for that and, you know, really give also even just sound advice. It's not necessarily like, oh, you need to do this or this or that. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. what you do that I love is like, you give like practical advice and, and sometimes those little things I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like if I would have known this when I was in the classroom, this would have helped. And then so I make sure it's like, okay, let's repost because, you know, you do such a great job at explaining it. And also, I mean, research back too. I mean, you're not just like, Hey, I'm throwing it out here and these are ideas, but this is, these are, you know, strategies mm -hmm. and ideas that have worked for you strategies and ideas, you know, similar here, like you're sharing uh, the, the agile handbook, the educator handbook too, mm -hmm. as well, that can help educators as well. And like you said, you know, those passionate educators that are overwhelmed, but, you know, love this profession and mm -hmm. still want to do their best. And so definitely following you is, is a great, great way for them to kind of get re-energized and get some great ideas. So I thank you Thanks. for what you do because it really means a lot to me as an educator, but I, I can imagine for many other countless educators that are out there too. And I also want to commend you because you have a voice in the sense that, man, there are so many of these things that I wish I can say mm. and, and I can say out loud, but I sometimes have to hold back because again, you just don't know what's going to happen or, you know, again, I, it's just that fear of consequences, obviously when you, but you do it in such an eloquent way that I may, I think to myself, I don't think I could have said it with that nicely or with so much tact like she does, but you, you really express it in such a wonderful way. And I thank you for advocating 
for educators because we definitely need more voices like yourself to help us and know that there are people that are advocating and just, you know, continue to encourage us and give us that strength to maybe just say, hey, you know what, this is it. Like we need to kind of change some things or maybe have that conversation that um, it can be difficult at times. But thank you so much mm -hmm. for what you do there for sure. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like, and we talked about this in the in the pre-show, but I feel like um, if you are an educator or a former educator and you feel like you can say some of these things, right, you can call out what's going on, you can call out the challenges that teachers are facing, you should. And I, you know, I say this very explicitly, but um, advocating for great working conditions for teachers, advocating for a more balanced career for teachers is good for kids, right? Like what is best for kids is to have great teachers be able to sustain a career in education. And so saying these things and talking about the challenges is really our only way to advocate for systemic change in a way that benefits kids. And so I totally understand that not every teacher is able to talk about it um, for lots of different reasons, but those who can should because the kids deserve that, right? The kids deserve to have um, teachers who are great be able to stay in the profession and be able to stay in it long term. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jen. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you here on the show and just share really your enthusiasm, your passion for this profession and the work that you're doing, not only, you know, through TikTok, but the work that you're doing in the education space, you know, as a you know college instructor, university instructor, but also that you're out there, you know, sharing your passion, what's worked for you and bringing it out to teachers, you know, through conferences and so on. So I want to ask you right now, giving you a chance to maybe plug in any events that may be coming up or, you know, what would be a, the best way for somebody that may be listening to the show and say, Hey, you know what? I want to get in contact with uh, Jen, maybe either do one-on-one -on -one coaching or it, you know, maybe for a conference. So what would be the best way that our audience members can uh, get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I am going to be at um, NIDA, so Nebraska Education Technology Association. I'm going to be there in March. I'll also be at ISTE in June and then CSTA in July. So I've got a few speaking engagements coming up. Um, if you want to book me for speaking, um, I work with the Teach Better Speakers Network. So definitely go there. It's also linked on my website. Um, or you can reach out to me on TikTok or Instagram um, or Twitter. You can email me at jenmanleyedu at gmail.com. Perfect. Excellent. And may I ask, you know, for those conferences that you're doing, you're doing uh, NETA, you're doing ISTE, and you're doing CSTA. Well, CSTA, we know it'll be computer science, but in NETA and ISTE, what is it? What topics will you be sharing at those conferences? Yeah. So um, I am doing, I've got quite a few sessions, actually. I'm doing um, like play-based immersive experiences. I'm doing uh, differentiation. So meeting every student's needs, uh, the student-led classroom. So ways that we can empower our students to lead their learning versus us doing it for them. And then I have a couple sessions on real teacher self-care. So preventing burnout strategies to help you be both effective and efficient. So yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, guys, listeners, if you're going to be at NETA, please make sure that you check out Jen Manley's sessions. If you're going to be at ISTE, 
also as well and CSTA please make sure that you do follow her because if definitely if you see the enthusiasm here on the podcast or hear it here in the podcast and and you're really pumped by it imagine how much more pumped you're going to be when you see her live and she definitely brings that energy so definitely uh you know excited to hear how you know those turn out and I'm sure that we'll be seeing those on TikTok and hopefully one day I'll definitely have the honor and the pleasure also to sit in one of those but again I do thank you for being here. I really appreciate this conversation and you really sharing your passion. But before we go, I always love to end the show with the following three questions. So question number one, Jen, if I may ask, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? I would say it's gaslighting teachers through phrases like teachers are superhero superheroes. Um, because Superman doesn't get paid. Uh, things like teachers teach for the income or for the outcome and not for the income um, and be the first to arrive and the last to leave. I think, you know, teachers deserve to be treated like professionals. And that doesn't mean they can't also have an impact um, and love what they do. But sometimes it feels a little gaslighty. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Next question, Jen, is if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I would say, I don't know. That's I, I, I had an idea earlier and then um, I, because I, I listen and I knew this was coming. Uh, okay, if I could have a billboard. Um, okay, well, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice that my mom ever gave me, uh, which is you can't win if you don't apply. So if you want something, you should always go for it because if you don't, the answer is no. There you go. Great. Perfect and pra practical. You can't win if you don't apply. Yeah. Excellent. That's actually, that makes a really great billboard. And for a lot of our audience members and listeners, I'm pretty sure that billboard too will definitely resonate if you're driving by and saying, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So make sure that you do apply. All right. And the last question, Jen, let's say that the roles were reversed and this evening was Jen Manley's podcast and I was your guest. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? I think I'm going to ask you, what is one trend in education that you either we're not sad to see go or won't be sad to see go. One trend in education that I will not be sad to see go. Oof. Let me see. Oh, that's a good one. Let me see. What would be one trend? I don't know. Let me see. You kind of caught me there. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff. I need a podcast. Yeah, there's, there's so <laughs> much stuff that is out there. Um I don't know. I think for myself, it's just really, you got me there. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of went blank. You got me there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay, what's one trend you did in middle school that you would make fun of yourself for now? Oh, I'll go back to sixth grade. Yeah, because here, okay. yeah, in sixth grade. Okay, so one trend that I would definitely go back to is at that time, and I'm really aging myself here, but maybe somebody out there will definitely understand, but I would wear my little overalls backwards because I was so much into crisscross. Uh -huh. So I would wear those backwards to school. And yeah, now looking back at that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would 
do that. Jeez. So yeah, that would be my trend. So I, that one was really easy. But I was thinking about as far as education trends. I mean, you got me there. I'm thinking to myself, I was like, what is it that I would wouldn't mind seeing go? Oh, okay. Here's one. It and I guess I don't hear it too much, which is good because it's to me, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, the less I hear it. But the one thing that really got me was the term learning loss. Oh my gosh. So that was just like stop it with that already right. i was like learning loss you we maybe because you, you lost the traditional sense of being in the classroom right but i mean we've got students that are in third grade fourth grade now fifth grade that are running zoom sessions better than some of the directors that i work with mm -hmm. so i mean i don't see that as learning loss but i mean hey that's what it is the term learning loss i'm glad that mm -hmm. that i don't hear it as much anymore cool yeah all right. Well, Jen, thank you so much. I really appreciate that question. And you really stumped me. I honestly, I will say that this is the first time that I was really like taken back, but I'm glad that I kind of recovered there. So I guess I gave you two trends. Um, there you go. I got both. One. There you go. Yeah. But again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And ladies and gentlemen, those of you that joined us in the chat, those of you that are going to be catching the replay or rewatching the episode later, thank you as always for making my EdTech life what it is today. As I mentioned earlier in the, in the show, our mission is to always connect educators and creators one show at a time. So please make sure that you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life where you can check out this episode and the other 177 other episodes with amazing educators that you can take from and learn from and sprinkle it on to what you are already doing great. Also, if you'd love to support our show, you can go ahead and visit our website where we do have a merch store where you can go ahead and purchase some conference gear. As we know, conference season is here. You've got a lot of winter conferences and even in the summer. So we've got some great merch that you can, uh, you know, purchase, represent our show. And also just know that all of that goes back into our show. You know, pretty much it's just uh, paying for the domain and doing all those good things. But as always, just thank you for all the likes, shares and follows. I really appreciate it. And as always, my friends, until next time, don't forget, stay techie.